Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the 24th episode of the 2022 World Cup Daily Podcast, courtesy of What If Football. I am Jake, as always, and on the first day of the quarterfinals, there was no total football to be seen, no Jogger Bonito to be seen either, and both the Netherlands and Brazil's hearts were broken due to the penalty shootout. So therefore, our semi-finalists to meet in our very first semi-final next Tuesday are Argentina and Croatia. We'll tackle it all. Let us get stuck straight in. Before we get stuck into perhaps one of the greatest days of World Cup football ever, we've got to advertise and do a cheeky plug. Uh, we've got, of course, alongside the World Cup Daily Podcast that is here on the Sports Social Podcast Network, on YouTube and anywhere else where you get your podcasts, really. We're also on Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash what if football with the World Cup Great Games podcast every 6 a.m., which is great games from the history of World Cup, pre-2022, of course. And on YouTube, we've got Football Manager International Challenges, we've got Predictors, Combined 11s, Predictors, what is the point in predicting this World Cup? And we have also got our bread and butter alternate football universes in our What If videos. Let's get stuck in to Netherlands to Argentina to, or as it was verging on, thanks to the referee, the Battle of Lucille. (laughs) 
as uh, the Netherlands almost got embroiled in much of a fight as the Battle of Nuremberg in 2006 against Portugal. And Portugal, they will not face in this World Cup after a 2-2 draw and a 4-2 penalty shootout defeat. 4-2 on penalties, just like for Louis van Gaal in the 2014 World Cup's semi-final. The final, Argentina haven't got into yet. We're around further back. They have got to quell some ghosts of 2018 first, but more on that later. So the changes, and they were a lot of them. Steven Bergvine was in for Davy Clarsen, which meant Cody Gakpo moved from uh, central striker to a number 10. Meanwhile, Argentina shuffled the deck to a back three. Lissandro Martinez was in. Angel Di Maria still not fit enough. Uh, he came on after about 110 minutes, which prompted me to take to Twitter saying he's definitely going to miss in the shootout. Was nowhere to be seen in the shootout anyway. Uh, the question really was, could Louis van Gaal play another tactical masterclass? And he'd seemingly won the mind games early on because he, the older manager, oldest manager in the World Cup, had forced the youngest manager, Lionel Scaloni, back into a back three. And Argentina hadn't played that competitively under Scaloni since a 1-1 drawing qualification at home to Paraguay. And in terms of the World Cup, they played a back three in a 3-0 defeat to Croatia in 2018. Will that remain? You suspect not for the semi-final. Anyway, the first thing I thought was Dumfries versus Acuna. Whoever wins that battle will win the game. And really, it was more of a score draw. Um, what was the, really the true battle as we got through into the first half, which was a, a, a tepid, shocking, whatever you want to call it, first half, in terms of there's no real football on show, a bit of flair from Messi. Um, but really... Molina, he was the he was the difference maker tactically, and obviously he scored the goal as well. So really, it became Blind versus Molina. Whoever would win that battle, and again, Molina probably did win it thanks to mainly Scaloni's tactical ingenuity. Is what he would do is have Molina play left back, left wing back, left uh, sorry right back, right left right wing back, and right winger all at the same time. Acuna would drop into left back. Of course, Lissandro Martinez can also play left back as well, and it was, a, it was quite a fluid back four, back five, and essentially that's uh, that won the first half for Argentina. And of course, everyone's going to rave on, as they should really, um, about Lionel Messi's assist, but the tactics around Molina breaking into the box, we're not really seeing it. And really, Marcus Acuna on the other side is more of the forward-thinking fullback, in my mind anyway. I may well be very wrong, but in, to my mind anyway, Marcus Acuna is more of the attacking fullback. So too with Nicolas Tagliafico when he, when he comes off the bench. And uh, he will have to in the next game. And Molina... Um, is uh, or Montiel rather is uh, the buff banned for the semi-final because of yellow cards and that's another part of the game the referee was giving yellow cards away like nobody's business of course numerous flare-ups by the by the second half Argentina had looked to have scored won the game Lionel Messi scored from a penalty which was again by by that point I think it was like the 73rd 74th minute either way it was like, like the last quarter of an hour of the game Argentina Hadn't really, they had a few chances here and there, but they'd not really troubled the goalkeeper either. He'd not really had too many chances to save. Emi Martinez had zero chances to save. The Netherlands were so poor going forward and it was. It seemed as though it was going to be a game that would peter out into. 2-0 win, Argentina moved through the destiny of Lionel Messi, lifting up the World Cup come the end of the tournament would be, uh, would be realised. Um, but then Louis van Gaal turned to the bench 
he moved away from whatever idea of total football was going on in his head, which there wasn't many ideas of total football going through his head. And he cast them even further away into more like Brexit ball, Deitch ball, and they just lumped the ball into the box. Valtvegos got a wonderful header at the near post. And then from that harem scare him, chuck everything into the box, bombs going off everywhere to the most delicate free kick at such a crunch time in the game to uh, win it. I was just perfect, absolutely perfect end to a game, or at least end to the 90 minutes. It was a sublime way to do it. And really, the only problem with that from a uh, from a Dutch perspective was they now had Wout Vergost on, they had Luke de Jong, they had, they had Steven Berghorst now playing as a fullback, I think. Cody Gakpo was on the wing. The, the formation was obviously thrown together. Virgil van Dijk was playing up top for, for, for one instance, I suppose. And uh, what it meant was for the next 30 minutes of extra time, <laughs> the, the, the whole Dutch team was slightly, well, it's completely thrown off. But then because of the extra 30 minutes, the Netherlands didn't bombard the Argentine goal, of course, because they might get caught out. And uh, what essentially happened was a reversion to playing it safe, letting uh, Argentina come to them, which full credit to Argentina, they just didn't. They sat off, sat off, sat off, sat off for the first 75 minutes. <laughs> They'd have the odd break, which came the two goals, the penalty uh, for the second one, the, the lovely little messy bit for the first. And... That's essentially what they did in extra time too. Um, Lautaro Martinez had a great chance. Enzo Fernandez hit the post. And um, from then on in, we were doomed to penalties. Since uh, Argentina weren't as cutting as they probably ought to have been, Netherlands didn't really want to go forward in any instance or just could not break down the Argentine uh, defence. In my opinion, the, Ar the best part about Argentina in this game was the midfield. You've got Alexis McAllister and Lionel Messi's partnership, I think, is blossoming beautifully because Messi will drop off McAllister will jump into the spot that he's vacated you've got Julian Alvarez who will run and run and run all day um, again which made the the 3-5-2 the that they had work pr pretty well Rodrigo de Paul is going to make himself a bit of a nuisance as well Enzo Fernandez has just been fantastic this tournament the midfield was just sublime he was absolutely sublime and really in a sense Scaloni played Van Gaal at his own game they just <laughs> incredibly low block and obviously you're going to you're going to fall into some traps with that. And I think Argentina did. They just almost forgot to play football. They, they were, there were plenty of chances to go and break in them last 15 minutes. They didn't take any of them. They thought the match was won. And then they see Vout Vegas and Luke de Jong coming off and coming on. And they think, ah, we'll, we'll win this easy. And then two goals from the Burnley player, <laughs> which is, uh, which is just what makes the world cup great. The champions league, the premier league, La Liga, Serie A, whatever, it's all nice and glossy and it's perfect and for the football's so much better, the tactics are better, everything is better. But when you get to a World Cup and you have one of these days, and, and as well it applies to the, the match that was played earlier on, which I'll talk to you about in a minute, there's nothing better. There is absolutely nothing better than this than this World Cup. Um, and this has been one of the best. Of course, we only stay on the pitch with that one, certainly. Um, but the amount of drama has been incredible. The knockout stage, well, they'll never change the knockout stages, but he's been, it's almost been the the more brutish, uglier version of France versus Switzerland, Spain versus Croatia, which we had on the same day within hours of each other last year at the Euros. This was brilliant. 
two two hours of football, two penalty shootouts as well. I can't remember that happening in a World Cup for a while. Uh, two penalty shootouts back to back either. I was loving it. It was fantastic. And um, yeah, it also had a, had a lovely little spice that the uh, the referee was a bit of a maniac. Um, he just was. There was no other... He was so inconsistent. For example, Romero did a proper brazen handball. Messi did the same five five minutes later. Romero gets booked, Messi doesn't. And the yellow cards were flying left, right and centre. He's got a, a... With the ones for the coaches and one for the bench, and rightly so, Leandro Paredes sparked a mini war by just absolutely levering the ball at the bench. It sparked like a 60-man Royal Rumble. It was uh, brilliant to see. Everyone says you, it's not what you like to see. Of course it is. You need a little bit of spice. And that was when the game was at 89 minutes. And really, if Argentina would have lost this match, even if it was penalties and there was a couple of really horrific misses in the shootout and Argentina would have lost that way, really, who cost Argentina, who would have cost Argentina the game was Paredes by adding about three minutes onto stoppage time and, and allowing the Netherlands to get through via that 101st minute goal from Vegas. It was... Uh, Crazy, but then you get to the you get to the shootout. Who was going to win? Was it be Emmy Martinez, who we know, who has form, who's an incredible shot stopper, proving it against Colombia in the Copa America last year, or would it be six foot eight man giant Noppert, the newcomer to the stage? Well, it was Martinez. Noppert didn't make a save. Enzo Fernandez, his miss penalty went wide, and Martinez made two absolutely incredible saves. Argentina become the first World Cup team to win five penalty shootouts on a day where Croatia became the first team, well, one of the three teams to win four. Argentina went one better. And really, as soon as it got to penalties, there was only one winner, in my opinion anyway, from form, from history. Argentina have an incredible record from a shootout. And that's not all from the drama from 12 yards. We have Brazil and Croatia to come. Join us after this short, short break. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back. 
So the earlier game, it was Brazil. It was Croatia. And Brazil, well, they're tournament favourites. They can't possibly go out in the quarterfinals. Well, here are the omens that pointed to everything that Croatia were going to win this. Brazil's recent knockout round record against Europeans. Let's go all the way back to 2006. They beat Ghana in the last 16. Then they lose to France at the quarterfinals. 2010, they of course win in the last 16. Then lose to the Netherlands at the quarterfinal stage. 2014, they go through Chile versus Colombia. Famous non-Europeans and they beat well, are beaten, eviscerated by Germany at the semi-final stage. 2018, they beat Mexico just as they did in 2010 and then lose to Belgium in the quarterfinals. 2022, they avoided European opposition again, somehow, somewhere in the last 16, in beating South Korea. And here we are, our first European opposition for Brazil, again, at the quarterfinal stage. But that wasn't to be an omen, surely, for the seller South, surely. And Brazil were unchanged after that demolition job over South Korea. Borna Sosa was in for Barisic. Pasalic was in for Petkovic, a man I called the Croatian Harry Seferovic because of his lumbering up top. More on him in a minute, of course. And Kramaric, you'd expect um, to move back centrally. Pasalic is a bit uh, bit better going out wide, but he did come in a bit too narrow, and uh, it, it, Croatia were ultimately better going forward with um, both of them lads um, substituted, and they were substituted fairly late on into this game, and of course, one of those substitutes changed the entire match. So, and of course... Another thing about the omens being pointed in the wrong direction for Brazil, every single time Croatia have got out of the groups, they've reached at least the semi-finals. 1998, their very first World Cup, got through the uh, the groups. They then beat Romania, they beat Germany, lost, of course, to the eventual champions, France, 2002-2006. 2014, group stage elimination. 2018, of course, they reached the final via the bodies of... Denmark, Russia and England. So, everyone was saying they were tired. Croatia couldn't do this again, surely. They went through three stages of extra time in 2018. They are four years older. Yes, they've got a few uh, younger names in there now, but they've just come off a gruelling contest against Japan. This was a level up. This was Brazil. And surely, seven of the last eight knockout stage games that they've faced have gone to extra time. Surely that could not happen again. Were they tired? Not one bit of it. Not one bit of it. And to be fair, in the build-up, if you watch the build-up on BBC One, if you are in the UK, we were treated to a Kovacic interview and a day on Lovren as well, but Kovacic outlined the plan from the off. Keep the ball, get the ball frustrate Brazil. And as in the first hour, really, first hour, Croatia kept the ball well. They were very well composed. On 20 minutes, Brazil had a little bit of a glimpse into the game. Vinicius Jr. at the heart of everything again. I thought Neymar was uh, relatively quiet until, well, the obvious. And uh, going forward, Juranovic was staying on form, barraging forward and not being, not shirking responsibility going forward, even with the might of Vinicius Jr. Neymar in his half space occupying him as well. Um, Josko Gvardiol, 
Croatia's man of the tournament for me. Of course, you've got to say the likes of Marcelo Brozovic and uh, Luka Modric of Mateo Kovacic, or the entire midfield, let's be fair. They've all been very, 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 very good for Croatia. But Radiol again had another brilliant game. He was at hand for the goal, started that move. He had to be his best to stop a cross early on, almost resulted in an own goal. And that really until Brazil's goal on the 106th minute. <laughs> that was the closest Brazil really came. There was a couple of chances they had uh, We'll discuss them much later on. But by the second half, Croatia's defence did look frazzled. It seemed as though they were taking the game very clearly in phases. I'll have 25 minutes when they, you know, exact their plan, go for possession, maybe go for the kill. And then uh, 25 minutes where they sit off and alternate those. And uh, to be fair, Zlatko Dalic, what a manager. He executed this game plan to an absolute fault. It was absolutely incredible how Croatia coped with Brazil. We think about Brazil, all the all this glut of players, and if they can't do it, send for the bench and get a glut of players on. And none of them, none of them could do it. Anthony probably had Borna Sosa's number in the first half of extra time. That's probably, uh, that's probably you'd say, fair enough because Borna Sosa coming back from illness and playing 105, 110 minutes, I think he did. Fair enough that it breaks down there. That was probably the only time. Croatia were resolute, resolute. They always are, always are in knockout stage games. I guess that's why they go to extra time every single time if it's before a final, which is uh, in the 21st century, that is. It's incredible, an incredible record. Absolutely mind-blowing, really. They did slow things down, as you'd expect, and look for control as we as we moved closer and closer to that dreaded extra time period. And really, Croatia were firmly in their element. The more the game went on, yes, they do uh, concede that goal at the, at the halftime mark in extra time, but they were um, they were they were firmly in control. Yes, they weren't providing much of a threat on goal, but we all know about their blunt attack. And it was going to take something quirky, bizarre, or something outright, outright ridiculous, really, for them to score. And obviously, it was probably one of the first of those with the massive deflection for Bruno Petkovic's goal. Um, but whenever they're in, in within a goal of the opposition, they've always got a chance, really. And in Brazil, yes, they had a lot of chance. Croatia did not work, Alisson, until that goal. Alisson didn't have a save to make in the entire game. Um, well, obviously, apart from the... <laughs> Apart from the penalties, and even then he didn't save one. Um, fantastic set of penalties as well. We'll move on to that later on. Um, really, in the first 90 minutes, well, in the first 105 minutes, Brazil, yes, they had a lot of chances. Neymar had two half chances, two three-quarter chances. He was slipped through with Richarlison. I think Brazil, they lost a bit of something when Richarlison came off. Richarlison was doing a really good job at dropping out so Neymar could fill that space. That's That was the only open play avenue that Brazil really had, to be fair. Um, as the match grew closer and closer to extra time and um, when Richarlison came off, Brazil looked even more blunt. He just needed something special for Croatia to open up. And, well, I mean, in my opinion, goal of the tournament so far. Yes, we've had, you know, wonderful strikes from distance. We've had acrobatic goals, namely Richarlison's. But this goal was utterly incredible. There's been team goals like um, the Netherlands first against USA. That was very, very good too. But this was uh, ridiculous, ridiculous. And what an occasion to do it in World Cup quarterfinal, yes, but to tie in the great Pele's goal record. And it would be it would be kind of fitting, of course, with the health issues that Pele is going through right now. 
Neymar and him both on 77, for Neymar to potentially just leave the national team now, it would be kind of fitting, romantic in a way. Of course, we know that football is not like that. Neymar will be wanting to come back for 2026, although he did say this was probably his last World Cup. Mm, it would be nice and romantic. Fairy tale ending in terms of personal achievement to tie up Pele on 77 apiece. And the way he did it was phenomenal. It was squint your eyes, change the colours on the shirt, and this was Lionel Messi. This was Lionel Messi at his absolute peak. Everyone says Neymar's overrated, and then he comes out with this goal. Give and go off one player, moves forward, give and go off another player. This was the archetypal Messi goal, and rounds the keeper as well. And he knew that a defender would be round, so he lifted it into the roof of net. Everything about it was absolutely perfect. So hats off to Neymar, of course. The one thing that perhaps let him down... Shoot out, he wanted to be the hero, take the fifth kick when really Croatia, their strategy, got it nailed on. Couple of um, experienced players first, one, two, and then the main man in the third position because you never guaranteed a fourth or a fifth kick. Uh, I think that's where Croatia, Croatia went correct and um, their penalty strategy was perfect. Couple down the middle, one to the left, the other to the left and won it. Perfect penalties, of course. But... Croatia, they got back into it. Bruno Petkovic, the <laughs> ridiculous, quite frankly, ridiculous um, goal. It was deflected out. Hair's breadth away from plucking it out of the air. But, of course, it was uh, that was enough, enough for the, uh, for the draw. And in terms of the game plan, in terms of what Croatia were trying to do, they were hopefully trying to win the, the numbers game in the midfield. Of course, of course, Brazil and um, their 4 2 4, as it were, with Neymar drifting on and Croatia's three and the best midfield at the tournament by some distance, I would say. Maybe England can have a shout for that. I would say Croatia edge it slightly. Um, so it, it forced Brazil to go long, go into the flanks, obviously go for higher risk passes. And um, Croatia really they, they pinned Brazil back well. Kovacic and his game plan that he alluded to at the start of the game, before the game in an interview, worked to a T and uh, no wonder Neymar was a little bit more vacant because he was having to drop in, even it up at three apiece in midfield. And yes, he, he did break forward and have a couple of chances, but his shooting was a bit off. Um, of course, it's got to be said that he's coming back from an injury as well. So perhaps that, um, that did did hinder him slightly. Lucas Pacatar had a couple of chances as well, but instead of lamenting Brazil, I think it's only right that we praise Croatia. This, the penalty strategy was, you know, it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Send the first two down the middle, have that little doubt in Alisson's mind, it perhaps roots him centrally, and then you go left, left, right, that fourth kick as well. I think it was Mislav Orsic. What a penalty that was, right into the side netting. And Marquinhos tries that, to keep his team in it, and just a couple, just an inch or two either, the other side. And that is exactly the same penalty as Mislav Orsic. And that shows how high risk that penalty is because his crashes off the bar, Brazil go out. And like in 2006 when they lost to France, 2010 when they lost to the Netherlands, 2014 when they lost to Germany, 2018 when they lost to Belgium, the first time Brazil come up against European opposition in a knockout phase, it's over. The last time Brazil beat a European team in the knockout phase was, of course, when they won it in 2002. And then it was an all-European affair. It was Belgium in the last 16, of course, England in the quarterfinals, Turkey in the semis, and Germany in the final. And here, just like the previous four tournaments, 
Brazil lose to European opposition and now the the drought of World Cups will stretch on to 24 years. And you may remember the last time Brazil had a 24-year drought in the World Cup. They then went on and won the next one. Where? California. Where is the next World Cup? Of course, it is in the United States, Mexico and Canada. Perhaps the Omens will be on Brazil's side in four years' time. For Croatia, though, it's a third World Cup semi-final, and I'm recording this before the Netherlands versus Argentina, so I'll just move on to the next phase, next part of the show, where we're going to preview England versus France, we're going to preview Morocco versus Portugal as well. Stick around. Welcome back. The third and final stage of today's show where we've got some previewing to be doing and we are back. Back to England time. Three Lions on the show. They're playing France. But first, let's let's quickly preview Morocco versus Portugal. So if Portugal... Uh, now, you'd presume one of the big favourites to win this thing. Morocco, they've just come off dispatching Spain, which... Um, is it the bigger shock than Croatia beating Brazil? Who knows? Regardless, if they can dispatch Spain, surely they can dispatch Portugal, right? Well, in my opinion, Spain's game of sideways passing, very slow tempo, thousand passes, thousand ways to uh, kill an opponent, but none taken. Um, that plays right into Morocco's hands. Portugal are a bit more dynamic than Spain in attack. And there is, of course, the looming question, should Cristiano Ronaldo stay on the bench? In my opinion, yes. Gonzalo Ramos, you've got to be adaptable in tournaments like the World Cup, like the European Championships. Of course, Fernando Santos knows that more than most because he delivered Portugal their first major trophy in winning the European Championships six years ago now. He has to start with Gonzalo Ramos. If somebody's in good form, yes, they might not be the more, the highest reputable player. They might not be the best player. Um, I think he Gonzalo Ramos is more suited to Morocco than Cristiano Ronaldo would be. Ronaldo's lost that edge. He's lost that dynamism. We saw how Spain coped when they had... A player in Marco Asensio is dropping back. Ronaldo, we know if he's getting frustrated, he has to have the ball. He has to drop back. Who's going to be then? The inside forwards cutting through. Will they be able to cut through Morocco? Morocco haven't conceded at the hands of an opposition yet, if you count the penalty shootout against Spain, which we're not, because that would be stupid. So it has to be Gonzalo Ramos. The way he took that goal against... Switzerland in the last round, that would be absolutely perfect for this Morocco game. He's kind of showed his hand a little bit with that early strike because that is exactly the type of positions he's going to be in against Morocco. If they can breach that that 5, that 4-1-4-1, if they can get through to the back four, all he needs to do is one-touch spin, shoot, early shot, kind of give that away a little bit, which may, may or may not play into Morocco's hands. But I feel as though with him in, of course you can send on Ronaldo, Maybe maybe Fernando Santos plays them both. We do know he has the 4-4-2 in his locker. He, of course, won the Euros with it. Um, would that... We know Morocco aren't going to push. They're not going to counter. They're not going to... Uh, they're not going to absolutely make this an end-to-end open game, are they? What they're going to do, they're going to sit in 4-1-4-1, of course. 
why not play 4-4-2? You can play both, have Ronaldo as the focal point. Maybe it, it um, loses a bit of something for Portugal with that, but you can still have two absolutely ridiculously attacking players out wide. Jao Felix had a fantastic game, Bruno Fernandes, and then play a pivot player, William Carvalho, alongside Bernardo Silva. I can't see him going that aggressive. We know Fernando Santos, he's going to be a little bit conservative, isn't he? So um, probably sticks with the 4-3-3. Not that it'll hinder Portugal too much. It'll be another right down to the wire game. This could be another penalty shootout. It could, it, I am of the opinion that if Portugal can find a goal in the first half, they'll win it fairly comfortably. If not, if it goes on and on in that second half, Morocco will dig in deep. They'll get into that extra time period. Penalties, who knows? Maybe they'll do a Croatia and win two penalty shootouts on the base. It, it doesn't seem like the most enticing quarterfinal in this draw, but it is. It is one of those because it will be a game of attrition for Portugal. How will they stack up to it? I'm, it's too close to call for me. Morocco have been fantastic. Of course, it's a chance for a first African team to play in a semi-final. Of course, it's enough to prolong that record of... Arabic representation in the World Cup reach new frontiers. They've already breached the quarterfinals. First Arabic nation to do that. Why can they not go for the semi-final? And waiting for them will be England or France now. Everybody's been salivating over Kyle Walker versus killing Mbappe, haven't they? But for me, the main question is, does Gareth Southgate go back to the 3-4-3? This is around the time where he pulls that out of the back pocket. He slaps it down on the table Everyone bemoans him and he pulls a result out of the bag. And whilst usually that would be a good ploy, I don't think it is here because if you look at Antoine Griezmann's positioning, he's not a number 10 as he usually is. He's more of an eight. So France are playing 4-3-3. If England do play that 3-4-3, they get swamped in the midfield. If they play a 4-3-3... It could be, it's almost exactly like how France have been playing this World Cup. You've got Jules Koundé on the right, you've got Kyle Walker on the right for England. They took in the left side, bombs on. England have got Luke Shaw, they've got Phil Foden to do that, and they've got Jude Bellingham working in the half space. Just flip that round, you've got Kylian Mbappe, and you've got Antoine Griezmann. Sometimes flipping over to that side of the world, you've got Theo Hernandez bombing on from the left-hand side. So... You've got it. You've got it all to play for. It's going to be a fantastic game. I I would highly doubt that uh, we see any changes from Gareth Southgate. Maybe, although I think Bukayo Saka's got a little bit uh, more about him coming backwards in terms of defending. Of course, you you may not really be able to tell if it is a four three three or a three four three because Saka could easily come in as a left wing back. A right wing back, rather. Um, but I, I struggle to... There's not much difference, really, is what I'm saying, with um, how England would set up in that. It's just more... And Rice pop into the middle. It, it could go either way. But I think matching France stride for stride, trying to play to England's strengths, whereas France, we know... It, it, they won't be focusing too much on Mbappe, of course. We all know how good he is. We all know how good he is. But um, really... If you focus too much on Mbappe, then he gives it to Giroud. Giroud extends his national scoring record. He gives it to Griezmann. gives it to a litany of players. Who's Van Dembele, for example. In terms of England going forward, the left channel is where to go. Hope that Ousmane Dembele is not got that defensive work rate on him and hope that um, 
England's strongest area for me, which is Shaw, Ford and Bellingham drifting out to the left. Harry Kane dropping in as well could be overloads on that left-hand side. If England are to win it, which I think it'll be an incredibly, incredibly tight game, that will be where it is won for England. But in terms of Didier Deschamps, well, he's got the chance to replicate Vittorio Pozzo in becoming the only manager to win two World Cups. That will weigh heavily on his mind. And a lot of people have been saying, oh, France have got France have got lots of injury worries. They've got this player out, this player out. And I think it's eased the transition from 2018 to 2022, if I'm being honest with you. Not having Pogba and Kante, older names, experienced names, yes, but it's forced a transition. Benzema, yeah, I don't think that really fits into the narrative either, really. And Kunde coming in for Pavard, it's just things like we've spoken about earlier with uh, with Fernando Santos, the ability to be adaptable. Yes, Pavard was a hero of 2018. He's not really hit the heights in 2022. But, um, but it's just adaptability, isn't it, really, at the end of the day? Whatever the weather, that is all we've got time for on today's show. Thank you very much for watching, for listening. Until next time, thank you and... Silly. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.